Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? Some of y'all saw that video and were really confused. You're like, that's not the Apostle Paul talking about the chiefest of sinners and all that stuff. Next Sunday, we kick off a brand new series. Pastor Chris is going to launch us into a great series in August titled Go Fish. You don't want to miss it. Bring somebody with you. Spread the word. Invite, invite, invite. It's going to be a great time. As we're just moving into a new season, kids going back to school, we're full steam ahead towards the fall. What a better way than to kick off with a brand new series about investing and inviting in people in our community so you don't want to miss that Go Fish. Today, we are wrapping up our Arrested series. My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here. For the last four weeks, we've been uh, in a section in the book of Acts, and if you missed any of those messages, you can go to onechurch.tv, download our app, and you can catch up on those talks. Last week, we learned some lessons from religious people and liars and crooks and lawyers, uh, and again, you can go to onechurch.tv if you missed that talk. Today, we're going to be in Acts 25. We're going to talk about waiting, waiting rooms, hold times. We're going to talk about waiting. We'll be in Acts chapter 25. I uh, recently spent a lot of time in the hospital. A dear friend of mine spent some time hospitalized on Wednesday, and so I was with him for a good bit of the day, and I learned a lot about people in the waiting rooms. In fact, you can learn a lot about people by watching them wait. You can really learn a lot about someone, especially in waiting rooms. I learned that some people are not as committed to their diets as they would like you to think when they're in a waiting room right? You've got a vending machine plus nowhere to go. That equals diabetes, right? Like you just got to do what you got to do. Swiss rolls, although they say those will give you salmonella now, Swiss rolls. I don't care. I'm going to eat them. You got to die anyway. Might as well enjoy your Swiss cake rolls, right? And there, if you go down the hall to the cafeteria, well, then there's some food and that's, you can't really tell what it is, but you know what a bacon double cheeseburger looks like, right? And when stuck between, I don't really know what that is. And I know what bacon and, and, and burgers taste like. I mean, so you go to the hospital waiting room, you find out really quickly, people aren't really as serious about their health as they would want you to believe. I also learned that there are a lot of experts in hospital waiting rooms. I have never seen so many smart people in my life than being in the waiting room of the emergency room. Who needs grad school and nursing degrees and all? Look, you need Google and WebMD and a bunch of <laughs> mad people who are frustrated that they're in the waiting room, and you can get just about any sickness. You, you have people showing their scars. What do you think this is? And, you know, and it's just uh, so many brain surgeons sitting out there in the waiting room. Uh, if you, so, again, save yourself the money in the insurance bill. Just go to the waiting room and ask those people because they clearly know what's going on. You can learn a lot about someone in a waiting room. You can learn a lot about someone when they're waiting. Here's what I learned about myself. I hate waiting. Hate it. Thank you for that. Amen. I'll pay you $5 later on. I hate waiting. I hate being on hold. I don't like it. Just when I think I'm growing in my faith, just when I think that, man, I am so close to Jesus, I get stuck in a hospital waiting room, and I realize I am the greatest of sinners because I want to punch a baby right now rather than sit one more minute in this room. I don't even let my microwave timer go all the way off. That's how much I hate waiting. I'm like, ah, there's 20 seconds left. That'll do. I'm ready to eat right now. I'm a very, is it okay? Is this a safe place for me to confess to you all? I am a most impatient person. And, and by your sounds, I think some of you are too. Those of you who are being quiet, get out of your legalism and your judgmentalism. You know, you too don't like to wait. Now, thanks to technology, we can just whip out our phone, right? And we can play games to occupy the time. We can scroll through Instagram and, and do whatever. But, you know, the, most times those are just temporary distractions. They really don't do much to solve the problem. Sometimes all we can do is wait. Just be there. How about you? You like to wait? 
like being on hold. Maybe when you, you wait, you get frustrated. Maybe you get extremely bored. Some of you might be bored right now, right? You're only halfway through the service. You get, we get bored. Maybe we get distracted. Maybe while you're waiting, you forgot the whole reason you were waiting. You forgot why you made the call, why you stood in that line. What am I even doing here? What do we do while we wait? It's an important question. So AT&T did a study years ago on the on-hold industry. Yes, there is actually an industry to put people on hold. And in their study, they showed that 70% of callers who place a call to pay a bill, do some kind of customer service, order food, whatever it is, 70% of people are going to be placed on hold for at least 45 seconds to a minute every single time you make a phone call. It's an automatic one-minute wait. Another study said that uh, about... 60 hours a year of our lives is spent being on hold. The average person spends about 60 hours a year listening to promotion and cheesy elevator music and, and all of that stuff. All we want is an answer. All we want is to order some food, to pay a bill. And yet, I, why do they make you hold to pay the bill? Like, do they not want the money? Like, come on, let's make this process a little bit faster. Stuck on hold. And I would say that life often feels like that, doesn't it? Waiting stuck. Not where you want to be, stuck. Anticipating what's next, frustrated, impatient. So much of life can feel that way, waiting for the next thing. What do we do with our wait? What if I told you that there was more to waiting than just time and space? What if I told you that it's in the waiting that sometimes the best stuff happens? What if I told you that the reason patience is so hard to get is because it's so important for us? It's so important for our journey. It's so important for what God wants to do in us and through us while we wait. Here's the truth, and it's our big idea today. You aren't waiting. You're on a mission. Perspective is everything. What if we didn't look at waiting as being stuck and instead squeezed all of the purpose that we could out of that time that life has us on pause. There's more to living than just being alive, right? As Mark Batterson and many others have said, the purpose of life is not just to arrive safely at death. There's a mission, there's stuff for us to accomplish, people for us to love, things God wants to do in us and through us, people for us to help while we're waiting. Sometimes in the wait, that's when the real awesome stuff happens if we have the right perspective you're not waiting. You're on a mission. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 25, finish up this section of the Apostle Paul's journey, and we're going to look and see how he handled being stuck on hold, how he handled being in the waiting room of waiting rooms. We'll be in Acts 25. We'll start reading in verse 1. It says this, three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities, he left for Jerusalem where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met with him and made their accusations against Paul. So Festus is the new governor who's been stalling dealing with Paul. He's been listening to Paul, sending him away. First it was a guy named Felix, now it's Festus. So these leaders, they're kind of listening to Paul's teaching, but they don't want to set him free yet because they still want to see if there's a bribe coming, if there's some compromise that can be made. And so Festus, he actually goes down to Jerusalem where the big dogs who want Paul killed are at. So that's what's happening here in the story. Verse 3, they ask favor. So this is the Jewish leaders. They ask Festus a favor to transfer Paul to Jerusalem, planning to ambush him and kill him on the way. So you, are you with me in the context here? Paul's in jail, but he's not in Jerusalem 
proper, but he's outside of Jerusalem in jail, and they're basically trying to get the governor, hey, send him our way. They have this secret plan to kill him. Verse 4, but Festus replied that Paul was at Caesarea, and he himself would be returning there soon. So he said, those of you in authority can return with me. If Paul has done anything wrong, you can make your accusations. So Paul, at this point, has been on hold for over two years. For over two years, he went to Jerusalem to do the right thing, to offer sacrifices. They accused him of starting a riot. An actual riot did start. He's about to be ripped apart. They save him, put him in jail, lock him up. They accuse him of some things. They smack him around. He appeals to go to Caesar. He gives a lot of speeches, a lot of sermons to explain where he is. And they keep locking Paul up. Paul gets to talk to them again, as we found out, and all of a sudden he causes division amongst the people. Paul kind of does that jujitsu, remember? He says, it's because of the resurrection that I'm in chains, and he causes another big riot, so they almost tear him apart. The Romans save Paul and lock him up, and Paul then begins to go every day, talking to Felix, talking to Festus. He gets to have some freedom. His friends can come and go. Paul's able to still teach people, but he's still on lockdown for two years. They could have let him go. He said that. Two years, they could have let him go, but he's locked up here for two whole years. He's been in a waiting pattern for a long time while the Jewish leaders and the Romans figure out what they want to do with him. A lot of us in that situation, we would have already lost our mind, right? For two years. Some of us don't want to wait two hours. I don't want to wait two minutes for that thing to be finished in the microwave. A minute and 30 seconds will do. I, don't, I need that other 30 seconds, right? We don't like to wait. And while we're waiting, we tend to make things worse sometimes. Paul could have done a lot of things in that wait. He could have protested. He could have grumbled. He could have started trouble. He could have done a lot of things. And, and, and there's all kinds of options for us when we're waiting. Here are, are three ways that we can be miserable while we're waiting. Are you ready? Here's how to be miserable while you're waiting. Number one, worry. Worry. Just play over and over and over and over in your mind all of the bad things that can happen in your mind. Worry, stress, have all the little play arguments you have, you know, little play fights you have in your head. Have all that stuff. Worry. Second thing you can do is surrender to anxiety. Surrender to anxiety. So take your worry up a notch and actually begin to physically react to that worry through your anxiety. Let yourself get stressed out. Actually start to move from worry to fear about what could happen. So you're worried. You had the little imagination, imaginary argument in your head. Now you're anxious because you actually believe that it can happen. Or you could do the third thing. You could complain. It's how to be miserable while you're waiting. Worry, surrender to the anxiety, or complain. When I was in the hospital last week, I saw all three of these things happening at the same time. People who were literally crying in their worry, and man, my heart went out for them. People who are trying to chain smoke their anxiety away, you know what I'm talking about? Like, gotta, gotta do something. Or people who are sitting around complaining, right? Hey, Christ Jesus came to die. He died for complainers, and I'm the greatest complainer, right? I was right there with the complainers. You can do it. For some of you, that describes your three-step process to handling everything in life, right? How's that working out for you this morning? Not well, right? We know this doesn't work, but this is typically our default to while we are waiting. Here's what Paul does, verse 6. About eight or ten days later, Festus returned to Caesarea, and on the following day he took his seat in court and ordered that Paul be brought in. 
When Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations that what? They couldn't prove. Paul denied the charges. I am not guilty of any crime against the Jewish laws or the temple or the Roman government, he said. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked him, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? But Paul replied, what? No, this is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well that I am not guilty of harming the Jews. Didn't I tell you Paul likes to escalate things really quickly? Now, a man has my life in, in, in his hands. I don't know that I'm going to speak to him this forcefully and this bluntly. But at this point, Paul has no chill, right? He has run out of blanks to give. You know what I'm talking about? He's like, hey, I'm already in it. No, you guys know this is the where I need to be. You're not setting me up. Not today. I've seen that movie. I know how it ends. No. Keep me right here. So we look at that at surface, and you think, man, Paul's just a, he is a little bit of a troublemaker. He's a little bit of an agitator. I think it's deeper than that. I think Paul knew that where he was was exactly where God wanted him to be. And in your weight, in your I'm not where I want to be yet, I think some, that's the key to peace. That's the key to really walking in health is to realize where I am is probably exactly where I'm supposed to be. Here's the truth about waiting. Your waiting room may actually be your destination. Your waiting room, your time on hold, may actually be the very place that God was trying to get you to in the first place. You think you got it all figured out, so God puts you in this place to humble you, to teach you what you need to know, to teach you what you may be lacking. Or maybe you're running so hard and you don't see that you're headed towards destruction. And so you move into this season of pause and you're so anxious to get going. And really what God wants you to do is peace. Be still. Sit down. This is exactly where I want you to be. Your waiting room may actually be your destination. Here's what's cool about the story of Paul. Paul was very committed to the cause of Christ. He was very committed to telling people that Jesus is the answer. He's what we've been looking for. He didn't let fear overwhelm him, so he took advantage of every situation that he was in with a sense of purpose. Notice the last two weeks, every time Paul's in these confrontations, he brings up the main thing. It's because of the resurrection that I'm in chains. I was trying to serve the poor and take care of people just like Jesus did. That's why I'm in chains. He got to talk to the, the governor about judgment, about discipline, about the gospel. He got to preach over and over and over because Paul took advantage of the situation he was in. Instead of complaining about the weight, Paul created opportunities to be on mission. Instead of complaining about being stuck, he took advantage of that time and did something productive for others. He did something productive for God. Paul ultimately wanted to go to Rome anyway. So he knew there's no sense in fighting where I am right now because where I am right now is the catalyst to where I know God's told me I'm going to be. God told him he was going to be in Rome. Your waiting room may actually be your destination. Let's finish this up. Verse 11. He says, if I have done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I am innocent, 
no one has a right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to who? Caesar. Now, this is going to come up several times in the next couple of chapters. We're not going to get into in this series. But Paul appeals to Caesar. Where does Caesar live? Anybody know? Rome. For those of y'all who are a little slow, Caesar, Emperor of Rome, right? Y'all are thinking, Fort Campbell Boulevard, they got a little Caesars up there. No, no, no. <laughs> Different Caesar, guys. Different Caesars. So I appeal to Caesar. Basically, send me where? To Rome. Festus conferred with his advisors, and they replied, very well, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you will go. And this launches Paul towards a really awesome journey in his life that we're going to cover in a future series in a couple of months. But it's pretty exciting what happens here in this exchange. Paul knew his waiting room was actually his destination. That's the truth about waiting. Your waiting room may be your destination, and really all of life is what? A waiting room. Sorry for getting all philosophical on you this morning. I know it's early, but it really is the truth, right? As the old saying goes, life isn't short. It's the longest thing you're going to do. Some of y'all are a little slow, but you're worth waiting for, right? It's, it's the longest thing you're going to do is be alive. All of life is waiting for something, there's an old doctor joke that I love. There's a PhD walking down the street, and there's a man dying. He's choking, like having a heart attack or someone, and, and someone yells out, we need a doctor. And the PhD says, well, I'm a doctor. And she says, what kind of doctor? And he says, well, I'm a doctor of philosophy. And she says, this man is dying. And his reply was, all of us are dying. And he keeps on walking, right? Deep. We're all dying, right? We're all headed somewhere. But all of life is a waiting room. That's all of life. If we see all of life like that, man, it changes everything. Paul said, I'm not afraid of death, but I'm not going to lie down and die either. See that tension that he holds? I'm not afraid to die, but I'm just not going to let y'all give me over to these guys to kill me either. I got stuff to do. He also remembered God's promise, and God promised Paul that he would travel all the way where? To Rome. He promised Paul, you're going to stand before rulers and kings, and you're going to talk about the kingdom of God. You're going to talk about Jesus in front of the most important people on the earth. God promised Paul that, so he's holding on to God's truth. He's holding on to God's promises. Paul wasn't going to let anyone or any situation rob him of that truth, but he wanted to make the most of his weight. Paul didn't look for an escape. He looked for an opportunity. Every step of the road, We've seen it throughout this whole series. Can your faith take a beating? What do you do when you can't tell your friends from your enemies? What can I learn from people that are out to get me? Time after time after time after time, we see Paul doesn't look for an escape hatch. He looks for an opportunity to be for Jesus, to be for people, because God was for him. And I think if we shifted our perspective on waiting, we could make a pretty awesome impact on other people too. If we realize that we're not waiting, we're on a mission. We're not waiting. We're on a mission. I ran into an insane on-hold situation several years ago, uh, and it was like a bunch of different situations collided at once. My phone, your phone, if you have a smartphone, it has a function called visual voicemail. Rather than bore you of how that works, let me just tell you to get to the bottom line. Mine wasn't working. Visual voicemail wasn't working. 
uh, obviously, it was not the fault of the great Apple Incorporated, so AT&T had to be to blame, right? So I'm like, let me call these jokers and figure out what did they do to my precious iPhone, right? So I called customer service, and they put me on hold. Probably took about five minutes for me to talk to an actual human being in this situation. Five minutes. Don't you hate that? Five minutes of numbers and press this and press that. All you want to do is ask your question and get off the phone. Like, ask your question, get your desired result, get off the phone. You don't have time for all this waiting around. And then they make it worse because they play uh, either crazy music or worse, they play like advertisements for buying their services. And I'm like, you're the reason I'm in this situation. I don't want to spend more money how I'm feeling right now. Like, I don't want to spend more money in your company. I would cancel if it wouldn't cost me an arm and a leg and penalties and fees, right? You guys are killing me right now. It's frustrating to be put on hold. And that's where many of us hang up. We just say, forget it, and we don't keep pressing through toward, to get the answer. We don't keep pressing through to get the desired result. We just quit. Or worse, we result to rude behavior, and we become short-tempered, and we scream, and we yell. Please don't be that person that goes off at the, the airline attendant because your flight is delayed. They're standing behind a counter. What in the world do you think they have to do with that multi-million-dollar machine not working or not being on time, right? Think about how crazy it is. Like, this guy is 17 years old. He doesn't want to be there. He just wants to take your money and give you your French fries. Do you really think he's the culprit behind why they didn't order enough whatever so that you can have your stuff? He's not the reason the credit card machine is running slow, right? If we, I'm preaching to myself, right? We get so frustrated. And we get negative, and we hang up. We get frustrated in our weight. So me, before I even pick up a phone to call a situation like that, I do my research because I like to try to fix it on my own, right? That's just how I'm wired. So I check online. I reset the phone. I do all the troubleshooting. I do all the backflips. I do everything that I can do to try to not have to call. I'm terrible, guys. I will walk around Lowe's for an hour before I ask someone for help because I'll flip one of those aisles if they say, oh, it's right there, you know, and I know I didn't do my Christian duty to look right there first. Like, I just, I don't want to be that guy. So if I find you in the drywall section and I say, do you have this part, please don't just say, oh, have you checked over in parts? Because I might go to jail for smacking you. Just telling you. It's annoying. I'm going to look. Before I call, I'm going to do everything that I can to to find it out myself. It's just the way that I am. Parents, you have that stubborn toddler who I want to do it, I want to do it. Hey, they relate to me because I'm just that way. Let me do it. Let me do it. I can do it on my own. So I did everything I could. I called. I reset the phone. I turned it off and on again. It wasn't working. I had my wife send me a bunch of voicemails just to see if they would come through. They didn't. So I figured out a back worry, how I can get in and check the voicemail without the visual voicemail. I do all the stuff that I can do to make the call. Finally, five minutes later, I get on phone with a person. I explain my problem. She gives me the, oh, I'm so sorry, Spiel. You know the one, right? The one she's reading off of a piece of paper. Uh, and she says, everything looks fine on our end. I'm going to have to transfer you. And she transferred me. She put me on hold again for another five minutes. And then guess what happened? Call dropped. <laughs> Call dropped. Now I would like to tell you that I was at my Christian best being calm and cool and singing Blessed Assurance, right, and Amazing Grace, and It Is Well With My Soul and all that. But you guys know better than that, right? You know 
the state that I was in. I was losing my mind. I was insane. I was raging. I was so mad and angry, and I couldn't do anything. I'm just stuck. Like, I felt trapped. Like, I just, I can't throw the phone because it's not Precious's fault that AT&T is messing up my stuff, right? So I just, I'm so mad, and, and I'm stuck, and I can't move forward. I can't, my whole day is feeling like it's shot. Granted, this feels like five hours. This is like 20 minutes of my life, guys, like 20 minutes. But it's 20 minutes of being on hold, and that stinks. So I call back. I get a new person on the phone. Have to explain everything all over again, right? Brand new person. She gives me the, oh, I'm so sorry spiel that she had practiced and read. Only this time, she actually tries to help me before she puts me on hold. You ever have someone try to help you and they really just make things worse? I'm not an expert. But the things she was asking me to do just didn't make sense. Like, of course, I tried turning it off and on again before I called you. But she asked me, have you tried doing that? And, and of course, I actually know how to set up my voicemail. She actually asked me that. Well, did you properly set it up? And again, I'm trying to be cool. I'm like, she's just reading off the paper, Carlos. She's just reading off the paper. Relax. But then she asked me to take the SIM card out of the phone and read her a number. And it was at that point I said, ma'am, you realize if I take the SIM card out of the phone, I won't be on the phone with you anymore. <laughs> on hold, stuck. So she finally gave up after she realized that I, I maybe knew a little bit about the phone. Uh, and so what she did was she put me on hold again. But this time, she transferred me to the product specialist the almighty sent from heaven product specialist. I didn't know the product specialist existed. I'm thinking, why didn't you do that in the first place? Why, why didn't you do that? See, what kept me hanging up is because I knew the answer to my being stuck only could be solved if I held on. I had to wait. I had to go through it. It's the only thing that kept me from hanging up. I had to remember, I don't have the answers so I got to hang out here until I hear from the person who has the answers before I could move forward. I didn't have the answers. The phone company didn't have the answers. But guess who did? The product specialist. Now, tell the truth. When life gets you stuck, don't you try to get yourself out. When you're on hold, you try to figure it out in your mind. You stay up late thinking about how you're going to plan and plot and make it work. Many of us, we've had that, how can I stretch this $5 for the next 48 hours conversation in our head, right? You know what I'm talking about. Worrying, surrendering to anxiety, sometimes even complaining, trying to figure out what we are going to do. And all that stuff does is just leaves us stuck. But if we remember who has the answers and we trust in the one who has the answers, we might realize, man, I'm not on hold at all. I'm on a mission. There's something that could be accomplished here. In my story, I spent about 30 minutes on hold total. You better believe I was too invested at that point. Like, I'm not hanging up. 30 minutes I've given of my life and my blood pressure, right, to this phone conversation. I finally get connected to the product specialist, the iPhone specialist, who actually worked for Apple, and he set me at ease. He says, hey, Carlo, listen. This, I know this is happening. This stinks this is happening. I will be the last person you talk to unless you tell me otherwise. We are going to fix this. And if I can't fix it, I'll get a manager on the phone, and both of us together are going to fix it. But rest assured, we've got your back. And I'm thinking, where were you 30 minutes ago, my friend? So he's like, just hang with us, man. We're going to get your voicemail. 
fixed. He had his stuff together. And you know what? I believed him. All of a sudden, I believed that he was going to help me out. All I had to do is stay on the line. All I had to do was wait. Just be patient. Just wait. Just hang tight. Let's work through this together, and we'll get it fixed. If I thought I knew better and hung up, I'd be stuck. But waiting with the person who had the answers set me up for success. And do you want to know the irony of the ironies? Here was what was wrong with my voicemail. I messed it up. Me doing something with my phone. I'm the one. We backtracked it. And he said, hey, do you remember on this date when you hit that setting? Like, first of all, how do you know that, stalkers? And I said, yeah. He said, well, that locked you out of your visual voicemail. But no problems. Got your back. We'll fix it. The whole time I'm freaking out about my phone, I'm the one who put myself in the position to begin with. Hung in there, got the answers that I need. 60% of people who get put on hold hang up. 30% never call back again, according to those nerdy studies that I keep in my back pocket on the on-hold industry. Same thing happens to us in life. We get stuck on hold and we want to quit, want to give up. We come to God with our issue, and it's taking too long. God, send me a husband. I've waited for 20 whole years. Like from birth to 20? Yes. 20 whole years, God, where's my man? Jesus, get me out of debt. It's taken me 15 years to ruin my life. Get me out of debt now. Fix it now. God, help my health, but I will not give up my cheeseburgers and my cigarettes and my sitting around. But God, please, help my, my heart strength crazy. The waiting is where it's at. The waiting is where it's at. That's where the good stuff happens. Waiting stinks, but it's worth it. In Paul's life, waiting, riding out the wave is what sets him up to be right where God wanted him to be. It's where eventually his life is going to end being there in Rome after doing many, many great things, waiting. Here's what Paul taught us he taught the church at Philippi this in a letter that he wrote long before he was put in jail here about patience and waiting. And he wrote this from a jail cell. So I want you to picture a, a man in prison writing these words to people who were stuck, people who are dealing with some tension. Here's what Paul said to them in Philippians chapter 4. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me and everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Paul writes those words from a jail cell to people who are struggling, and that's in him. I believe as Paul's in this waiting room dealing with Festus and all these people, he's thinking about what's pure, what's noble what's excellent, what's worthy of praise. He's trusting God. He's realizing that the waiting room 
is often the destination, that all of life really is this wait, and that you're not really waiting at all. You're on a mission. You got stuff to do. How are you feeling about your wait this morning? What do we do with our wait? Three things. First thing we need to do while we're waiting is we look up. It's what Paul talks about. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, go to God. So we worship. We get into God's word. We pray. We talk to God, the only one who can ultimately fix our jam. We go to him first. We go to him always. And then we look in. We ask the questions. God, what are you teaching me in this? It's a lesson my wife and I try to practice in the stress of our life. God, what is the lesson? Now, we don't really ask that out of this place of holiness. We ask it out of a place of we really want to go to the next lesson. So if I guess the answer right, God, will you get me out of this situation? Like, But we ask. We grow. Grow. Practice. Use your time wisely. While you're waiting, use your time wisely. When I was a single adults pastor, we used to talk to single adults, 18 to 20 year olds all the time, like quit being in such a rush to be what you're not. Instead, be the best you can be now. Grow now. Learn now. Take advantage of where you're at now. So look in. And then finally, and and, and almost most importantly to us, look around. Serve other people. Don't look for an escape. Look for an opportunity. Don't look for a way out. Look for a way to help someone while you're waiting. How can you use that time to be a blessing to someone else? Serve. That's what Fort Clarksville is all about. Not looking for escape, but looking for opportunities. What are you willing to be arrested for? Can your faith take a beating? What do you do when you can't tell your friends from your enemies? What can we learn from all the characters who are around us? I think the best thing we can learn in the craziness that life throws us is that we are not waiting. We are on a mission. Let's pray. God, thank you for your power. Thank you for saving us, for loving us, for calling us to you. I pray for the person in this room right now, God, who is new to this Jesus stuff. They've heard a lot of things about a God they can trust in, and and maybe they're here and they don't feel like they can trust you too much. I pray they would just take a step today. By being here, God, is is a step, but I pray they would take a next step and say, you know what, I I think I want to try following Jesus. God, the person here who, who knows they're stuck, they've tried to do it on their own, and they really, really need you. I pray, God, that as they take a step towards you, you respond like only you can. You save them. You make them whole. Make them brand new. Thank you so much, God, for loving us. And even in our wait, even when it feels like we we just can't take it anymore, I thank you that the good stuff happens in that moment when we're patient, when we trust in you. That's really what I'm asking today. Help us to trust in you, to not lean on our own understanding, but to trust in you. And I thank you that when we do that, when we give you our heart, our trust, God, we put it all in you, I thank you that you make things brand new. Life is so much better. God, we're walking alongside with you. You have the answers. Help us to trust that. We love you. Thank you for your grace. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Hey, guys, how many of y'all?